shit. Here it comes. Welcome to Motorcycle Madhouse, and what a busy week we're having here over at Insane Throttle. At the end of the show, we will be giving you a huge announcement on what we have cooking over here. Something that will be one of a kind and change biker entertainment forever. So stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe to any one of our platforms we are broadcasting worldwide on. I want to give a huge shout out to those who are listening on Motorcycle Madhouse Radio over on Spotify and iTunes. Don't forget, everyone, the radio show can be taken with you anywhere on a ride with you or in your car. Every Sunday, there is a new episode released and available on all major radio platforms. Also, before we get going, everyone watching over on Facebook, we can now see you in the chat room. So look forward to seeing what all is happening over there. If it's anything like our chat room over on YouTube, it's going to be a fun one. We have China Chat coming up later, where China Doll and I hit the road and take you along for the ride. And we have part one of Tombstone's Conspiracy Theory. First, Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse would like to send our condolences to the Chosen Few Motorcycle Club on the loss of Icon from Virginia. What happened was two people are in custody after a crash on the Portsmouth uh, side of the Midtown Tunnel heading into Norfolk. This happened uh, Tuesday around 4.58 p.m. and the Chesapeake police attempted to stop a vehicle for traffic infractions. The vehicles failed to stop, and the pursuit began in the cities of Norfolk and Portsmouth through the Western Freeway and Route 164. As the vehicle began to approach the Midtown Tunnel, it struck a motorcycle from behind. Uh, the suspect vehicle continued, and just before entering the Midtown Tunnel, the adult male, <laughs> this is fucked up. The adult male driver and two adult passengers exited the vehicle. The driver avoided apprehension and was uh, picked up by another vehicle. The two adults, <sighs> man, this is messed up. The two adults uh, passengers were apprehended and are in custody. Uh, the police identified uh, the driver who fled from the scene. It was 18-year-old Demonta J uh, Johnson. He was taken into custody. He's going to be facing charges in the Ch in Chesapeake for uh, felony eluding and multiple traffic infractions. The passengers were identified as a 19-year-old Demon Richardson, who was charged with uh, possession of marijuana obstruction of justice and leaving the scene of an accident and there was a 22 year old uh, kid who was charged with obstruction of justice and leaving the scene of an accident again our deepest uh, condolences go out to uh, icons brothers of the chosen few and his family and his friends uh, he was the VP in uh, Virginia, so sad stuff right there, sad stuff. So let's get uh, right back onto the main subject of today's video. Biker Jeff Beatty thought that after the McClellan County District Attorney's Office dismissed charges against him and the remaining Twin Peaks defendants, it was not too much to ask to have all records of his 2015 arrest destroyed so he could move on with his life. It appears it won't happen. 
Beatty, a former Marine who still has a bullet in his arm from the May 2015 Twin Peaks shootout, is threatening to sue the DA's office for malicious prosecution. His attorney is Seth Sutton, said the district attorney's office representative recently told him that the office would oppose Beatty's motion to expunge records pertaining to his arrest after the Twin Peaks shootout on May 17 of 2015. Of the 24 remaining Twin Peaks cases that the District Attorney Barry Johnson inherited when taken office in January, only three defendants were charged with murder and rioting. Baby, he's from Ponder, Glenn Walker of, uh, what is that, Copperus Cove, and Ray Allen of Crum. The three-year statute of limitations expired for prosecuting, writing, and other possible charges stemming from, you know, the melee. Except for the murder, which has no statute of limitations. And Johnson said his office opposed Beatty's uh, expungent uh, request because in some cases additional evidence surfaces down the road, and they can file murder charges. In an expunction uh, motion, a person who has been arrested with no conviction asks a judge to order clerks, courts, local, state, and possibly federal law enforcement agencies, and anyone with information about the arrest to destroy the records. It's like wiping the... Stay clean and allows the defendant to legally say he or she was not arrested. However, in today's world with information, it's only a Google search away. It's difficult for someone arrested in a biker shootout in which nine died to remain anonymous. Quote, it would seem that everyone would be satisfied with the way the evidence has turned out in this matter and the way the cases were handled. (laughs) That's what Johnson said. And he goes on to say those cases were dismissed. Are they not satisfied with that? No, uh uh-uh. The answer in Beatty's case is no, and it should be, because his is a textbook case of self-defense. That's according to his attorney, too. He still has a bullet. It, bullet in his arm from the you know to prove it <laughs> there are cases where there are missing pieces to the puzzle that you might want to hold open and that's according to his attorney and that makes sense in those cases this is way different there are zero pieces of the puzzle missing we know what happened the most important piece of the evidence has always been the bullet in Beatty's arm. This is just a refusal refusal for the state to admit there's a bullet in his arm. He said Beatty is upset at the DA's opposition to not expunge his case. (laughs) He's considered filing a malicious prosecution lawsuit. And Beatty is not among the more than, what is it, 130 Twin Peaks defendants with federal civil rights suits pending in Austin. The man who shot Beatty was one of the nine bikers who died in the shootout. Beatty and a fellow bandito, Ray Allen, were parking their motorcycles behind Twin Peaks when the shooting started. That's according to his attorney. You know, three bikers from the rival Kazakhs or one of their support groups came running around the corner of the building and one, Matthew Mark Smith of Keller, started firing. That's according to his attorney. Smith first fired two shots at Allen but missed, Sutton said. He next fired at Beatty who raised his arm as a shield and was shot in the forearm. Now, this is all according to his lawyers. Smith then fired at the bikers who were trying to leave the parking lot in the back of a truck. 
Smith was killed by return fire, and ballistics reports show Smith was not one of the four bikers killed by the Waco police officers who were stationed on an adjoining parking lot and fired on the bikers they felt were threats to them or others. It's a turkey shoot! Houston attorney Paul Looney, who represented six Twin Peaks defendants, said none of his clients have asked to have their cases expunged. Looney said they are likely are not entitled to expunction because judges and grand juries have found there was sufficient probable cause to arrest them. (laughs) Those are your defense attorneys? That tends to limit the availability for your records to be expunged as a matter of a right, Looney said. Johnson said uh, Beatty is the only Twin Peaks defendant to inquire about an expungement so far. If others do, his office will consider their request on a case-by-case basis. And he goes on to say in this article, this was, just, this was not just a blanket deal where we would oppose them all. According to Johnson, he said he'll take a look at each and every one of them, see what kind of evidence they have and what their level of involvement was before making that decision. What I don't understand about all this is the district attorney dropped all charges, but the ones charged with murder cannot have their reputations back. The excuse If more evidence is presented in the future, they will recharge because the statute of limitations, that don't hold water. It don't. It's already evident after four years there will be no more evidence. The only reason why people were charged with murder was because Abel Reyna needed scapegoats to take the heat off the officers who went on a wild turkey shoot. And killed those other bikers. And no, it's not enough the charges were dropped. It would seem that everyone would be satisfied with the way the evidence has turned out in this matter and the way we handled these cases, Johnson said. That was a quote earlier. Those cases were dismissed, and are they not satisfied with that? <laughs> People's lives were destroyed because of a faulty investigation handled by the idiot that replaced you, Johnson. How do you expect anyone with an indictment of murder to get any real type of employment? Hasn't the McClellan County District Attorney's Office ruined enough lives already? Isn't it time for the McClellan County District Attorney's Office to finally admit it was wrong? Dropping these charges against the final 24 doesn't make you a saint or a hero. Sure, you took the first step in fixing a wrong, but don't be half-assed about it. Finish the work so Waco can truly be put behind everyone that was involved. Man, we have some awesome conversations going on over in Facebook right now, man. It's awesome. Not to, <laughs> so not to mention the robust uh, conversations right here on YouTube, man. You guys are killing it today. Y'all rock. Anyway, what do y'all think? Isn't it time for the McClellan County District Attorney to finally come out and admit their screw-up and set everything right. Here's my ideal for setting everything right. Not only do all those falsely charged get the records expunged relating to this incident, but each person arrested should be given $1 million. Same as the bond required of them when they were all falsely arrested. What's right is right, Barry. Actually, it will probably be cheaper for the McClellan County to make a blanket settlement, make that offer like this, 
in order to avoid being hit with all the lawsuits coming out of this, especially when one or two lawsuits could result in a judgment three times what it would cost the county just to make an offer like this. Let's be honest and straightforward. If any of the civil lawsuits currently filed go to trial, not only will the award against the county be huge, but the truth will finally be revealed about the cops who killed those bikers. You know, the ones the county is protecting. Isn't that the real reason why the district attorney decided not to prosecute? You all knew if anything went to trial, all the ballistic reports, much of which was omitted, would have to be turned over. Those reports would have shown exactly how the police handled the situation that day. Those reports would have shown the public just how much the police agencies went out of their way to commit the real crimes that day. Listen, folks, it's already proven up to four bikers were shot by police. Still, there is no accounting on why they were shot. No inquiry if they were justified for shooting them. Then not to mention the handling of the case with blanket indictments filled out right there on the scene. They claim a grand jury came down with it? No. Cops were given blanket forms for Christ's sakes to fill in. That's not how justice in the United States is supposed to work. Again, (laughs) let's take it from another angle. Take out the fact those involved in this horrible incident were bikers from clubs. These were freaking Americans. How in the hell can anyone justify the actions of the police department that day? Better yet, how can anyone justify not getting all the facts and the truth of what happened when over 177 people were arrested without any investigation. At the heart of one of the America's greatest amendments to the Constitution is that of the Fourth Amendment. And here's the definition for those who don't know what the Fourth Amendment is. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that, quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants shall be issued but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. The ultimate goal of this uh, provision is to protect people's right to privacy and freedom from unreasonable intrusions by the government. So let's talk about probable cause, and if the police department had it when they arrested over 177 people. Probable cause is a requirement found in the Fourth Amendment that must usually be met before police make an arrest, conduct a search, or receive a warrant. Let's remember now, 177 individuals were arrested that day. The question at hand, did the police truly have probable cause against each and every person they arrested. What's probable cause? In Illinois versus Gates, the court favored a flexible approach, viewing probable cause as a practical, non-technical standard that calls upon the factual and practical considerations of everyday life on which reasonable and prudent men. Okay. This was an interpretation of probable cause the Supreme Court takes. So let's use this as a basis of debate. 
Does anyone really think the police had the probable cause to arrest 177 people? Each and every one of those 170, oh, 177 people arrested, cops needed probable cause on. Hell no, they didn't. They were arresting people just because they were wearing club member patches. Under the oath, orders of uh, Abel Reyna. There is no damn way they had justification to do that. Besides the Fourth Amendment violations, I can contend I see violations of the First Amendment. Cops were arresting people just because they were members of a motorcycle club. It didn't matter. It didn't matter you could see half of these people running for cover when the shooting started and had nothing to do with the fight. All these cops... <laughs> all these damn cops had to do is look at the video footage to see that. No, Abel Reyna wanted his path to governorship. Waco was how he was going to get it. Didn't matter if he trampled on the rights of American citizens to get it. Here's the deal. I'll tell you exactly what Reyna's strategy was. Reyna was dependent on the shock value of the incident and the national news coverage of the event to write him right to the governor's office. Anyone who remembers that day and the ensuing days should remember how the news media portrayed the incident. It was 100% against all the motorcycle clubs. All anyone seen was that Waco PD idiot spinning his crap. No counter replies from the clubs involved and no other side of the story. The national news spun it as a modern-day shootout at the OK Corral. Reyna used that to up his profile. He gave, it gave him a feeling of su superiority to run roughshod over the rights of American citizens. What he didn't count on is when the media coverage faded, the truth started coming out. One of the reporters who made sure of that was Tommy Witherspoon. Tommy was there from the very beginning and made sure to keep Waco in the news. And to Reyna's dismay, the truth started to slowly come to light until eventually everything about Reyna was exposed. Oh. Can't forget the defense attorneys like Casey Gotro and others who fought against this wrong. Casey did a fantastic job of sticking it to the McClellan County District Attorneys. Man, did she. Exposing all these corrupt people, all their corrupt intentions, and the biker community should be forever grateful to her for that. We often concentrate on the individuals involved in the incident who were wronged. But Casey, at her own personal expense, fought the system. I'm sad to see that she's no longer practicing law. She did much in the way of protecting not only biker rights, but the rights of every American citizen. Every American citizen. So, we love you, Casey. I love you, Pitbull. So, what is your thoughts on the individuals involved in this debacle? Do you think they should have their records expunged? I think so. Leave your comments and uh, your thoughts in the comment section below. When we come back from the commercial break, we are going to discuss government policies against workers being a part of a motorcycle club. Also, later on in the show, take a ride with China Doll and I on China Chat. It's going to be most interesting. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be. Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet and biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Hi, this is John with Exit 27, and you're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse. 
Want to hear more of our music? Head on over to Spotify or iTunes. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Let's go. 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 Welcome back from the commercial break. Man, I was looking at the Facebook chat and wow. <laughs> you guys are killing it over there on Facebook Live. Of course, how's everyone in my YouTube chat going, man? You guys are killing it as well. Want to thank you all for all the support and all the super chats over there. All the super chats go right back into the show, so we are keep taking it to the next level, man. You guys are awesome. Really appreciate everything. So I was sent an article by Tim out of Montana. The article had to do with the Navy cook getting booted from the, uh, the military for belonging to a motorcycle club. A San Diego-based uh, cook was booted from the service and sent to the brig earlier this year after he pleaded guilty to running with an outlaw motorcycle club and distributing cocaine. The culinary specialist, first class Jason A. Thompson, was sentenced in February to a bad con conduct uh, discharge, reduction in rank to E1, and 210 days behind bars, and that's according to Navy court records. But he had been held in pretrial confinement for 176 days and received credit for time served. Thompson was charged with wrongfully act, uh, and uh, participating in a criminal gang, according to the paperwork. And the, he was part of the Thunder uh, Guards uh, Motorcycle Club from December 2015 to May 2018, according to the charge sheets. Delaware in 2014 sued to shut down the club's Wilmington clubhouse, which authorities claimed had been the site of at least 15 shootings, including five homicides in the past eight years. That was uh, according to the release. Club members have also pleaded guilty to distrib uh, distributing meth and running a hero heroin ring in recent years, and that according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Thompson's military attorney did not respond to a request for comment submitted through the Navy Public Affairs Office. He was also convicted for distributing and using cocaine in March and April of 2018, according to the records. As part of the federal gun, uh, what is it? The Federal Gun Control Act, Thompson is prohibited from possessing, receiving, shipping, or transporting firearms. Uh, that, according again to the records, what I really don't like with this example of the government firing of an employee is the fact old boy was convicted of distributing cocaine. One could argue he was an idiot, especially while being a member of the armed forces. On the other hand, though, this is another case of the government using criminal gang in everything they uh, write about it. My question is, what will it take to finally convince people that just because one or two people do something stupid... It doesn't mean the whole club is criminal. Words are really starting to matter, especially in the fight against motorcycle club profiling. The government knows damn well not every member of a club they consider is a gang. But they continue to use it in order to funnel money to them. After all, they have to show results in order to stay in business. The statement from the U.S. Attorney's Office really gets me going every time. 
Club members have also pleaded guilty to, uh, to distribution of meth and running a heroin ring in recent years. Again, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. Well, so has numerous cops. You can see that fact every day on the internet just by googling cops get arrested. You will get all kinds of articles and news stories popping up to the fact to back that up. I get it. I really do. It's all a propaganda scheme in order to keep the public on the edge about motorcycle clubs and Hollywood making bank off the lifestyle. This is why I think it's important for the biker community to start fighting back. Fight back against what's going on. If we as bikers don't take the lead in fighting profiling, then who will? A joke like Al Sharpton? Yeah, that won't help anyone. Not that idiot. So what do I suggest? Bikers need to become a part of organizations like Abate or MRF. And by God, stop believing the crap that you hear about the Confederation of Clubs from some jokes who has no ideal spouting off on social media. The Confederation of Clubs fight tooth and nail for all motorcycle club rights and all motorcyclists. Again, not just club members. If you don't get into the fight, then don't cry and whine when you're pulled over for no reason and put through the ringer. So to bring this conversation back full circle, do I believe what happened regarding this Navy cook was right? Yes and no. No, because I believe a person and their membership in a club should have no bearing on how they perform their job. But yes, because the guy was convicted of distributing meth and all that good stuff. Doing it. What kind of idiot does that? while serving in the armed forces. Not only do you make yourself and motorcycle clubs look bad, but you make the armed services look bad, and that's something I will never support. Our men and women of the armed services are the best in the world. They don't need some moron making it even harder on them because you were busted selling crap. Come on. Where the hell was the brains? You can read about this uh, article, about this subject on HarleyLiberty.com. I provided a link in the description box. Let me know what your thoughts are. Was the Navy right? And this is my question to you. Was the Navy right in getting rid of this individual? If you would like to ask a question, you can do so by sending it to info at insanethrottlebikernews.com with Ask Hollywood in the uh, subject line, all that good stuff. When we come back from this quick commercial break, take a ride with China Dow and I where we answer a question from a fan about how we got together and some other good fun stuff. Hi, I'm James Hollywood Machikari, and my new book, The New Age of Biking and Brotherhood. In it, I address many issues facing the modern biker and motorcycle club member. The subjects covered are non-politically correct, and many issues are exposed that will rock the biker scene. I will expose some of those people who claim to be biker experts, and others I expose for what they are doing to the scene for personal gain. This book is sure to light the internet ablaze. The exact reason why I chose to write this book in the first place. Hopefully in some small way this book will help people make some changes to the club scene before it's too late. Hot shit. Hot shit. Here it comes. Are we ready? They say you don't gotta go home, but you can stay.
Hey, welcome to China Chat. We're here with China Doll, and this is a ride that we actually took the other day. It's the back roads. You can see on the left side's Wisconsin, the right side's in Illinois. And, uh, yeah, it was a great one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was giving me great motorcycle hair. <laughs> well, we had a question from Steve, and that question was, how did we first meet? How did we first meet? We met on a CB radio. <laughs> For those millennials that don't know what a CB radio is, that's something that actually went into your car and you would talk on it. But go ahead, tell them the story. Well, we were at a place where we called the K-Spot, which, believe it or not, was an old Kmart where everybody used to hang out that had CBs. We called ourselves CBers. And uh, a call came there's over. There's you looking like a ham, but go ahead. <laughs> Look, there's me. Uh, a call came over one of the CBs looking for Bounty Hunter. And I didn't know everybody's handles at the time, so I said, well, there's nobody here that's named Bounty Hunter. And then uh, I got off the CB and somebody said, this is Bounty Hunter, and introduced me to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, some other guys uh, out there for you. We kind of actually made a little bet. Yeah, there was a bet on which one of them could get in my pants first. <laughs> Who won the bet? <laughs> uh, you did. <laughs> but yeah, that's how we met uh, Steve, was over to CV Radio. Man, that just tells you how old we were. Yeah, in our early 20s, all 21, 20, 21. Because, <laughs> yeah, I'm older than you by five months. Does the CB radio even exist anymore? Well, truckers don't use them anymore, because remember, we used to go on the CB radios and be like, break one nine. Right. Because <laughs> that was the CB's channel was 19, so we used to always mess with the uh, truck drivers on the CB. Well, another question I got, it was actually during an interview. Somebody just interviewed me. Dave interviewed me, actually. He asked what kind of roads that I liked. And as you're seeing, these are the type of roads that I like. Uh, we were from, uh, well, I'm from Chicago. She's from the Burbs. And this is something that's just not possible out there when it comes to riding a motorcycle. And these roads just go on and on. And like I said, this is a state line road. This the left, you're in Wisconsin. The right, you're in Illinois. But what's some of your favorite roads? Well, my favorite roads are basically the long country roads because there's no stop and go with stoplights, no traffic. I mean, as you see on the ride, I think we maybe crossed past what two, three cars tops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the scenery is the best part. You don't have to worry about buildings. Well, this was actually uh, on the way home from, what, Beckman Mill? From Beckman Mill Pond. That was on uh, the previous video. But that's what the roads out here look like. You know, we've tried, uh, well, I've tried anyway to get myself lost, and that's a hard thing to, for me to do. Well, it's hard to get yourself actually lost on the back roads out by us because they all end up going into a circle and you bet basically end up back where you started <laughs> right well we're going to be doing some more videos like this we're actually going to be going up to uh oregon illinois up to the indian statue as we call it that's one of uh china Dow's favorite places what do you like about that one so um my favorite thing is first is basically when you're riding up to it and you're on the opposite side from where the indian statue is and the view just to where the indian statue is is amazing then going up to the statue and you get out and just standing next to the statue and looking you're such out. a ham when it comes to i know <laughs> check me out oh i uh when you stand next to the statue and look out over the river, the view is just phenomenal. I mean, I'm all about views. I like seeing beautiful views. I grew up in Schaumburg. All that was out there were houses in a freaking Woodfield Mall. <laughs> and you grew up in Chicago where all there is is nothing but freaking buildings. So to be able to get out into the country and enjoy the view, uh, just a view is a beautiful and relaxing and great feeling. I think my favorite was when we went to Oregon to go see the Indian, and me and my little smart-ass mouth, 
How many stairs is that down to the river from the Indian statue? Yeah, this numb nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can do it. I can do it. Now, we're on the top of a big hill. You're talking a few hundred feet up in the air. And there had to be at least uh, 1,000 to 1,200 stairs that goes all the way to the bottom of the bank of the river. I ran down them fine. Yeah, get her way up, man. I thought we were going to have to call the paramedics, man, because she wasn't doing too hot coming up. So The last flight of stairs, I was literally crawling. <laughs> you know what's actually interesting? On the right-hand side, when we go around this corner is actually where I go deer hunting at. That's the first time that we came up to Rockton, and that's where I deer hunt. You're actually showing it right here on the right-hand side. They got some excellent deer hunting here in Illinois. If you haven't been in uh, Illinois to deer hunt, uh, you're missing out because there's some of the biggest bucks around here in Illinois. Uh, but this is the kind of uh, scenery that we are, we're in now. Uh, shit, we live right on the Rock River. We do, about two blocks up. Yeah, so, you know, that's always nice. You know, I'm big in the fishing and stuff like that. But this is, uh, yeah, you know, for the question that I got, what's my favorite roads, anything that has to do with country. You know, even when we went down to the city, you know, even though I felt a little homesick uh, going there, I was like, damn, man, I missed the food because the food sucks here. Uh, oh my god, you can't even get a decent Chicago-style hot dog out here. No. Chicago-style hot dogs, believe it or not, are supposed to be mustard, relish, onion, and sport pepper. Out here in the boonies, a Chicago-style hot dog has ketchup. Yeah, you don't have ketchup. You go to Gene and Jude's and ask for ketchup, man. They yell at you like there is no tomorrow. And it don't even taste the A hot dog don't taste the same. <laughs> it, the way they boil them or something, or it's, it's the brand of hot dog, maybe. Mm. Because out here, the hot dogs taste nothing like the hot dogs. Well, that's because they use Vienna in uh, Chicago or Red House. Out here, they use that cheap Aldi crap, if you ask me. Yeah, they claim they use Vienna, but you can totally taste the difference. Right, right. Well, other rides that we got coming up uh, that I'm going to be uh, taking you guys along with uh, me and China Doll is we're going to go up to Galena soon. Uh, Galena is a gorgeous ride. Oh, yes. I grew up going to Galena at the campground out there. Beautiful area. That's right over on the Mississippi. And we'll actually go see Grant's tomb. <laughs> because we want to see who's really buried there. Right. Well, his house is, uh, you know, it was pretty modest for a rich person back then. But we're going to take you on that ride. We'll go see Grant's tomb. We'll go see Grant's house and all the scenery. Uh, it's just gorgeous out here. Uh, it's a lot different than the city. But what other rides would you like to go on? I don't know, maybe one of these days punch you down and go check out Lincoln's Tomb in Springfield. <laughs> Lincoln's Tomb. And I thought you weren't in the history. I'm not in the history. It just seems like it'd be a fun ride, but maybe a little sore on my little tiny tailbone. <laughs> right. Well, that is China Chat for today. Uh, look forward to next week. We're going to be taking a ride out to Oregon, Illinois, like we said. We're going to go see the big Blackhawk statue. If you guys don't know what, uh, you know, the big deal with the Blackhawk statues around my area is, this is where the Blackhawk War was fought. And there is a lot of history around here in northern Illinois. So you're going to get to go on that ride with uh, China and me. And uh, I'll see you in the next segment after this commercial break. H&H Enterprises is an over-the-road refrigerated trucking company out of Plymouth, Wisconsin. They run lanes to the southeast, Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, and Alabama, as well as Texas, and now are interested in hiring a small number of qualified, motivated, professional drivers. You must have two years of over-the-road experience and an acceptable driving record, along with a verifiable work history. If you live in any of our lanes, we hire in areas that help us work together with the driver to maximize home time while still being able to make a living. With the starting pay at 50 cents per mile plus few of safety bonuses, which are easily obtainable, nearly every driver can start getting paid 56 cents a mile from the beginning. 
We offer automatic transmissions, APUs, refrigerators, and more while hauling no-touch freight. We also pay drop pay, layover pay, and offer a health insurance program that includes 100% paid life insurance as well as 100% short-term disability insurance. SNH has been in business for over 23 years and has built up a dedicated long-term customer base, which allows us to pay more while getting you home. If you feel that we might be what you're looking for, please call Terry at 920-892-2180, extension 1, and discuss the possibilities. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully, this is a part of the show that uh, everyone really enjoys. Um, it's it's really more about education and the, the motorcycle world, and uh, I appreciate everybody's input. Uh, if there is a particular subject in which you would like me to do some research on and do a show on, um, please feel free that once Hollywood uh, updates this onto YouTube as a recorded show, um, that you go ahead and put some comments in the bottom, and, and I'll uh, go ahead and... and get involved in whatever suggestions you have as far as a report is concerned. Um, today we're going to go over the Hollister incident from 1947 and how it became uh, what it is as far as the media is concerned. Um, but before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to Hollywood and Motorcycle Madhouse for supporting Tombstone's Theory. Uh, we're really trying to do something to uh, help educate uh, new bikers that are out there and maybe supply some information to guys that have been out there for a long time. But again, uh, don't feel, uh, don't be afraid to go ahead and debate anything that I have to say. Um, that's what this show is really all about, and uh, we're doing the best we can. As you can see in the background, you know, I'm still in a hotel, been in one for about a month, month and a half. Um, finally, going to go home uh, next week. So, uh, thank you very much for checking the show out, and uh, let's just get into it. So, in 1947, um, this is after the war, World War II had ended. Um, the AMA had decided that it was time to bring back the Gypsy Tour. Now, the Gypsy Tour uh, was shut down for about seven years in, in for the Hollister, uh, California area, mainly because of the fact there was there wasn't you know any bikers or any people that would really attend. You know, you you'd probably have an event where maybe a thousand people would actually show up to one of the AMA events. Well, what's en what ended up happening is the war ended. Um, all these guys that are GIs, you know, veterans and so on, and there's no disrespect to any veterans, please understand that, because I'm a veteran myself, and I know the challenges that, that we have to deal with when we come back to, the, you know, to our country uh, after we've been somewhere and, and saw some pretty devastating things. Um, it's very difficult for us to go ahead and uh, reassociate into what everyone else in the world considers normal society. Um, what's normal to everyone else is not normal to a veteran. So what ended up happening is that that seven-year stretch occurred where there was no uh, gypsy tour, and now all of a sudden, you know, we got all our GIs back, and we have uh, the event being held on an Independence Day weekend, which means it's an extended weekend. We all know what that means. It's more time to hang out, drink, and have fun, right? So you don't have to go to work on Friday or Monday or whatever day it is. So it's a nice extended weekend, and we get to have a blast. So, you know, the information gets put out. The Gypsy Tour is going to be held in Hollister, California, and uh, we're going to have a great time where AMA is probably expecting about a thousand people, right? So before we get into this, really, we have to understand what Hollister, California is at the time. And at the time, it was a, a small town. Um, it had like 21 bars and taverns in it. There was a couple of hotels, but you know, business wasn't great uh, during that previous seven years. So when they found out that the AMA was bringing the gypsy tour back into town, they were like, oh my, we're going to have a blast. We welcome these people with open arms. We, we need that, that you know, money to come into town to help us uh, get back to where we were and prosper. So the, here we go. The weekend starts up. And uh, instead of the 1,000, roughly, people that uh, AMA expected to arrive, and, and the town as well, um, what ends up happening is uh, 4,000 bikers arrive. Now, you're talking about a town 
where there was 4,500 total residents. So you've almost doubled the capacity of the town in a weekend. Now, first of all, again, I say that the town and the police they and the AMA, they were very happy about the fact that um, these guys were, were here. They welcomed them with open arms because they needed that money. Um, the issue is ultimately that the AMA didn't realize until that point in time that you know the type of motorcyclist that was available now, post-war, wasn't the same motorcyclist prior to that. And these veterans came back and, you know, because of the experiences that they lived with over there, um, they came back with, you know, a different attitude, a different mentality. And you know what? They drank a lot harder than they used to, and they were a hell of a lot more rambunctious. And let me tell you something, you know, if you've gone overseas and you put your life on the line and you woke up certain days not knowing if you were ever going to live to see the next day, your view on things changes a lot and you don't step down from controversy and you're, you're not afraid um, to go face to face with somebody if you have to. Well, here you go. It's it's Friday morning. You know, thousands of motorcycle cyclists are pouring into town. I mean, listen, they came from everywhere. San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, New York, Connecticut, Georgia. I mean, they were they were from all over our country. You know, these 21 different bars and taverns that were available, um, they got overcrowded real fast because these bikers were here and they were ready to party. They wanted to have fun, right? It, it got a little crazy. You know, that's reality. Uh, vandalism was, was actually very low. There wasn't any major damage done to, to any location. Um, this is kind of when the whole thing started with driving a motorcycle through a, a hotel or a bar. Um, the thing is, is that things got a little crazy, right? There was a lot of drinking going on. So the, the, the owners and the bartenders of these establishments agreed that, you know what, maybe we're going to shut down a little bit earlier, you know, uh, so that things don't get crazy throughout the night, right? Well, it didn't exactly work um, because of the fact that these guys were able to go into the surrounding area and pick up whatever they wanted, you know, the to, to drink or consume as as the, uh, the event went on. So the, the problem is, is that during this time frame, you had different newspapers uh, like the San Francisco Chronicle, as a matter of fact, um, that came in and they they tried to do some pictures and, and write a report on what actually happened. Um, the thing is, is that some people will tell you that they lied and some people will tell you that it was an absolute truth. Well, actually, it, it wasn't either. You know, um, what it was is something that was over-exaggerated, okay? Uh, yes, there was absolutely um, a fight that occurred at Hollister, but the way it was portrayed in the media and the way it was portrayed in the movie was not the way it actually was. So here's what actually happened. Yes, there, there was a lot of drinking. Um, the town was extremely overpopulated with the 4,000 motorcyclists that came on. Um, there, there were the hotels, they didn't have enough room for everybody to the point where there, there were people sleeping in the hallways, uh, in the lobbies. I'd like to invite everyone to check out my new books, The New Age of Biking and Brotherhood, and the number one new release in the transportation history category, Iron Order Motorcycle Club, the year that changed the motorcycle club scene. You will get a no-nonsense look at the current happenings in the scene. Both titles are available on paperback and Kindle through all major retailers, as well as an audio version of both of the books on Insane Throttle Publishing. Badass stuff right there, Tombstone. I want to give a shout out to all our followers again on Spotify, iTunes Radio. You all rock. So, what's the big announcement that we promised at the beginning of the show? Insane Throttle Publications is working on launching American Rebel Biker TV on Roco. January 1st, 2020. The new channel will include everything biker, content and shows from numerous biker creators that will focus on every aspect of the biker lifestyle. 
content you will not be able to get on YouTube and other video platforms. Best of all, no censorship of any of the programming. This means it will be treated as an adult-related channel and one in which will be in your face and non-scripted. We will give monthly updates up to the launch of this new TV channel. It's going to be a good one. Uh, we're going to be uh, premiering uh, a lot of these behind-the-scenes looks at how we uh, I've been doing it. If you're a biker-related content creator and would like to sh your show on American Rebel Biker TV without having to jump through the hoops of Discovery or AMC that they put their shows through, send us an example of your show to info at InsaneThrottleBikerNews.com for consideration. This is a huge opportunity for creators and even better... One for fans and writers to get true biker-related content without censorship. So, what's everyone's thoughts? Leave your ideals on what you would like to see in the description or in the, the comments section. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Join our YouTube channel and get motorcycle madhouse and tons of videos related to the bikers. Join now by subscribing for free and become part of the throttle today. Always free and always entertaining. Don't forget to visit us at www.harleyliberty.com for your daily biker news. Rock on! Are we ready? Let's go. 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 We're going to tackle the subject of, is it better to buy new or used? That from Mike from Delaware. Also, I got a question from Paul from Florida. Why do you wear a helmet? <laughs> okay, first question. Buy new or used? Personally, I'm always going to buy used. There's so many bikes on the market with low miles that going to buy new for me just don't make any sense. Why go out there and take out basically a second mortgage on your house to buy a new bike? Some of these bikes are going upwards to fifteen to twenty-five, all the way up to forty thousand dollars for brand new bikes. That is something I'm just not gonna do. Never gonna do that. You know, there is a lot of nice machines out there, and the technology is just going to the roof that they're putting on these bikes. But to me, why have a payment of say four or five hundred dollars a month when you can go and get you know a more used bike you know let's let's take the fat boy for example one fat boy now with me i only pay a couple hundred dollars over dealer trade-in when i go look for a bike and that is a secret you got a lot of people that will list these bikes for outrageous prices and it it's like, where the hell did you come up with this figure, man? Remember, they're only going to sell when somebody's there to buy them. Uh, for example, on Facebook Marketplace, you can go on there and see, uh, well, it's how to go, because I've been looking for a backup bike to the uh, 01 Fat Boy while I get her all tricked out this summer. They had, uh, I think it was like an 89 or something, uh, Honda Goldwing. It had 65,000 miles on it, and they wanted $2,500 for it. Well, I'm not going to pay that. There ain't no way. For one, it's old. For two, it has uh, tons of freaking miles on it, and it's just not worth that price. So, something like that, I might give you, I don't know, $1,600, bucks at the most for it. And, you know, they come back and they're like, oh, shock. And it's like, why are you all shocked, man? The thing's like, how old? <laughs> and how many miles has it got on it? No, ain't going to happen. Not going to pay what you think. They all think their bike worth gold when it really isn't. And that's one of the most important things you got to remember when buying used is not overpaying. Don't let your heart 
get involved in the process. Yeah, you might see a bike you really, really, really want. But if the price ain't right, don't buy it. Because you ain't going to get your money out of the bike if you have to go and resell. With me, I do a lot of, uh, how can we say it, buy and sell, trade type of stuff. You know, I remember once, <laughs> it was funny, uh, I and just to see, and this can prove the point, you know, this buy, sell, trade stuff is something to make money on. Me, I got a, what was it, a riding lawnmower for like a hundred bucks. And through the barter and trade process, I built it all the way up where I eventually got an old three soft nail. Didn't put a dime on it. So that's something else that you might want to look at is buy, sell, trade. But uh, getting back to uh, use prices, never overpay for it. And don't let your heart get involved in the process. Go out there and pick 10 bikes. Don't just focus on one, two, or three. And don't go to one source for the used bikes. There's Facebook Marketplace. There's Craigslist. There's, uh, what is it, that Let It Go app on uh, your phones that you can get it uh, on uh, Google Play. So there's a lot of resources to get a used bike. New bikes, well, you're looking at dealerships mostly. And with dealerships, never. Uh-uh. The old one, I actually, uh, I can't say that. The old one I got at Border Tracker Harley-Davidson, but I got them about out of the price I wanted it at. And, you know, I think they wanted, uh, what was it, uh, $7,500, $8,000 for it. And by the end of the day, because I negotiated for hours with this thing, and I ended up getting it for like 5500 bucks. So, you know, you can negotiate with your dealerships, and especially right now where dealerships, they ain't selling a lot of bikes, people, uh, the mo- especially new bikes, but they're selling a lot of your these used stuff, so make sure you negotiate with them just because they got a price tag on there. Don't be afraid to walk away if they don't want to bend down to you. You're in charge. You're the one with the money. So, back to the question, if it's used or new. Yeah, I always go with used, like I said. There is no reason to go out there and spend that kind of money unless you have it. If you got the money, go do what you got to do. But why spend all that money when you don't need to? The rubs in this lifestyle, what they usually do is go buy a brand new bike, they'll put five to 10,000 miles on them, and then turn around and sell it because they're bored. That helps us. That's where we come into play, and that's actually where I like rubs. Other than that, rubs can to me. Anyway, uh, next question. About the helmet. Okay. Here's what I use. And I used to be one of them guys who never wore a helmet. And doing this job that I do, I started seeing all the stories come out of people whacking their heads and shit like that. And now that I'm older, I got grandkids and stuff, you know, the wild days are gone for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go grab a helmet, you know. And do I say, hey, you have to helmet, have a helmet? No, it's your choice. Do what you want to do. It's your personal choice to decide if you're going to wear a helmet or not. Me, I decide to wear a helmet. And that is this half lid. It's a beanie type now. And I think I got it on Amazon for like 40 bucks. And she, you know what, it's real low profile. It don't give you that mushroom head. And... I love the damn thing. Uh, personally, you better check the size of your head on these damn things because I originally wore a large and it ends up with this one. I wear a medium. Uh, but again, it's a personal choice if you're going to wear a helmet or not. China, you'll even see us on the bike uh, this coming Saturday when we're riding. China, she don't like wearing helmets. Am I going to make her wear one? No, it's her choice. Now, if she wants to smack her head on the freaking ground and get all mush, that's on her. Me, I choose to wear a helmet. But I'm not one of them guys that are going to go around and disparage people for the choices they make in life. And that's what it is, is choices. you got to make the choice that's best for you. And if you don't want to wear a helmet, don't wear a helmet. But 
I wouldn't go out there and deride people who do wear helmets either. <laughs> you know, I actually uh, did a poll on Bikers and Brotherhoods, our Facebook group. And by the way, Judge, you guys are kicking ass on that, man. You're you're killing it. Mine, you're killing it, man. But uh, actually put on a, a poll, and turns out most people wear helmets. But they don't go around and say, hey, you got to do this and do that. I'm against helmet laws. I'm against anything that uh, the government wants to push on you, basically. So, but those are my answers today. If going out and getting a new, or uh, getting a bike, I go use. But if you have the money, go spend all the money you want. Uh, again, it's a personal choice. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Friday was the place to be. Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Join our YouTube channel and get motorcycle madhouses and tons of videos related to bikers. Join now by subscribing for free and become part of the throttle today. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle crack wide open.